This is Endourology Soundbites, a new podcast series from the publisher of the Journal of Endourology and Video Urology in cooperation with the Endourological Society. This series is brought to you by Richard Wolf, a global leader in endoscopy since 1906. Richard Wolf delivers solutions that are improving patient outcomes and shaping the future of minimally invasive surgery. For more information, please visit richardwolfusa.com. Hello, this is Brian Metlaga, the Associate Director of Education for the Endourological Society. I would like to welcome you to the Endourology Soundbites podcast, supported by Richard Wolf. This podcast will feature Dr. Ralph Clayman of the University of California, Irvine, where he is the Dean Emeritus. He is also the editor of the Journal of Endourology. In this podcast, Dr. Clayman will be providing his insights into where endourology has been and where it is going in the future. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure for me to uh, present this podcast on a glimpse into the future. Uh, discussing the future really is more about imagination than knowledge, and hence uh, I cannot be held responsible for these pronouncements uh, unless they prove to be true, and then uh, I would more than gladly take credit for them. Uh, but given this low-risk proposition, I would imagine extensive changes in non-invasive therapy, natural orifice endoscopy, uh, specifically ureteroscopy, and iatrogenic orifice endoscopy, specifically PCNL and laparoscopic surgery by the year 2030. I believe the one unifying technology will actually be robotics, uh, and the surgeon will transition to a very interesting state of primary hands-on role to one of mentoring uh, a robot such as perhaps named Halstead, the all-knowing pre-programmed personalized procedural robot, autopilot may well become autosurgeon, and therein will lie a major challenge for us as urologists, but not one that I think will end our importance or our ability to care for our patients. So with that introduction, let's look at PCNL, ureteroscopy, robotics, and then lastly, let's touch on some thoughts on the overall practice of urology by the year 2030. For percutaneous stone surgery and percutaneous access to the kidney, I think that for a lot of our surgeries prior to even going into the operating room, we'll be dealing with immersive interactive virtual reality models that will enable us to actually see the anatomy very clearly before we go in and possibly even to do the surgery before we go in, thereby allowing us the opportunity to proceed to the OR with tremendously more knowledge of the anatomy than we presently have today. I think as far as obtaining percutaneous access, we will have smart needles uh, that literally will seek the collecting system using perhaps GPS localizing type of technology or technology that will actually create a situation whereby the needle seeks the tip of the ureteroscope. Alternatively, we may actually be getting access from the inside out using uh, laser technology, which is another possibility. I believe that our endoscopes, specifically the flexible nephroscopes used in percutaneous surgery, will change significantly. Along those lines, I think it's important to realize that there has never been a purpose-built flexible nephroscope. 
All of our nephroscopes continue to be colidocoscopes or cystoscopes that are then used in the upper tract and thereby, by default, called nephroscopes. I think the, the far better to redesign the flexible cystoscope so it becomes an ideal nephroscope as it would still work well for cystoscopy and hope that there would then come a nephrocystoscope in the future. I would imagine that this nephrocystoscope would be tapered at its tip, uh, that the entry ports would allow for instrumentation to come out such that it's centered in the field of view, that the handle would actually be redesigned to enable the surgeon to turn the flow off and on to advance and retract instrumentation. So the handle, rather than basically being a not-smart handle, would all of a sudden become interactive with the surgeon and tremendously more serviceable. I also believe that all these endoscopes will be dual-channel in the future and also that they will probably all be uh, potentially disposable, although it is of note that the bigger the, the flexible scope, the more durable it becomes. I think in the future, the tip of the flexible nephroscope will actually be ultrasound-enabled, allowing one to see suburethelial stones and even to map out the blood flow in the kidney itself so that the percutaneous tract is placed in an area that has the least amount of vascular uh, vasculature. I think as far as the accessories for percutaneous stone removal goes, they will change. Uh, we will eventually have either material that we can inject into the collecting system that will entrap small fragments or actually have the ability through the ureteroscope to vacuum the kidney clear of any fragments. Uh, laser technology will continue to advance. Um, I think the laser will become a self-adjusting laser that will adjust to the hardness of the stone itself based on light feedback from the surface of the stone, and thus the optimal amount of energy will be expended in order to fragment the stone into small pieces. I also think that PCNL will become robotic itself, and the robot of the future will be driven by a surgeon, if you will, at a console, and the robot will control the nephroscope and the laser fibers and the baskets and all the other accessories. Moving on to ureteroscopy, I think that as far as ureteroscopy is concerned, I firmly believe the access sheath will become routine in all ureteroscopic procedures. I do believe the placement of the access sheath allows for more easily done flexible ureteroscopy. Uh, once it's in place, anybody can actually pass the flexible ureteroscope. Earlier studies have been done that clearly show the benefits of placing a sheath. And in point of fact, if one looks at all these studies, the access sheath shortens the operative time, saves dollars, allows for quicker placement of a ureteral stent, keeps the intrapelvic pressure low, actually improves the deflection of the flexible ureteroscope, improves stone free rate, and in the most recent study by the Crows arm of the Endourology Society, does not result in increased strictures, and in point of fact, patients with access sheets had a 1.1% stricture rate, whereas patients without access sheets had a 1.2% stricture rate. I also believe that with the access sheets, we will be able to put up larger sheets by pharmacologically manipulating the ureter prior to the procedure, be that with alpha blockers or 5-phosphodiesterase inhibitors, 
or some other medication that will turn the ureter into a structure that is rapidly uh, and safely relaxed, such that passage of 16 French access sheets will become routine, and indeed will actually be passing at some patients even 18 and even 20 French sheets. The ureteroscope, I think, will change. It does appear that all ureteroscopes will eventually become disposable. This will allow for rapid prototyping of new ureteroscopes, which would be tremendously beneficial. I think all these ureteroscopes will have a dual channel and a multifunctional handle, as I discussed before with the flexible nephroscope. Visualization will be CMOS. Uh, This will definitely rule. There will be no more fiber optic endoscopes. And the various permutations of visualizing structures through optical coherence tomography, blue light, narrow band, will also come into play with the ureteroscope. And the tip of the ureteroscope will also have ultrasound capabilities. Once again, as with PCNL, I see robotics playing a major role here, especially as we develop virtual reality programs and become more facile in programming the robots such that the robot will actually be able to give excellent feedback to the surgeon as to where he or she is in the collecting system and also will be able to, quote-unquote, seek out stones in small calyces or that otherwise are difficult to access. I think the ultimate will be the development of what I would call Halstead. Uh, this would be a completely automatic robot for PCNL, ureteroscopy, and all laparoscopic surgery. It would be pre-programmed with the patient's personalized CT scan the night prior to the surgery. The surgeon would guide the robot on that preoperative planning, and when the patient comes to the operating room, the surgeon's job would be basically that of mentoring the robot as the robot actually does the surgery. Um, I think the old joke of in the operating room of the future, there will be a surgeon and a dog. The surgeon will be there to feed the dog, and the dog will be there to stop the surgeon from touching any of the buttons. Uh, While this was once a joke, I think in the future it will actually be reality. Lastly, I think if one looks at the overall practice of urology, I think we are looking at potentially the end of urolithiasis. I think we'll have an injectable type of material that based on the Hounsfield units of the stone and other factors providing the urologist with a 95% knowledge of the stone's composition, that substance will then, once injected into the kidney uh, or into the collecting system, will stay there until the stone actually is turned into a slurry and passes down the ureter without any need for manipulation or or invasive type of procedure. I think lastly, with regard to urology, I see the end of the prostate. I absolutely do believe that eventually we'll have a PSA-tagged radio sensitizer, which once injected, the patient will literally be exposed to radiation for a short period and anything that, that produces PSA and has been tagged with a radio sensitizer will then basically be uh, eliminated. I think this will be used not only for prostate cancer. I think actually in the future it will be used for BPH. I think the day is not too far-fetched when we will actually see all men at age 55 or 60 go in, will have this injection done, and proceed to actually have their prostate prophylactically treated thereby eliminating BPH and eliminating prostate cancer. In closing, these will be very difficult things to accept, but I do believe it's essential that we do accept them 
and that we as urologists embrace our specialty and rather than fight to preserve the old, rapidly adapt to the new, becoming experts in all forms of image-guided interventions and in all pharmaceuticals as they apply to our organs of interest, whether the disease process be benign or malignant. In this manner, we will remain true to our profession, which provides us the opportunity to be both internist and surgeon to our patients. Again, thank you for this opportunity.